This Week in Startups is brought to you by Tiny. Want to sell your wonderful internet business? Tiny partners with founders to give them quick, straightforward exits that protect their team and culture. They'll make an offer within a week, close the deal within a month, and keep your business operating for the long term. Get in touch at tinycapital.com slash this week, and they'll let you know within a couple of days. Rippling. Rippling helps thousands of fast-growing startups automate their HR and IT, from their team's payroll and benefits to devices and apps. See how at rippling.com slash twist. And our crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. It's another episode of This Week in Startups. And you knew it was coming. You love this day. This is the moment where you click in your podcast player. And yes, the boys are with us back again. Ben Gilbert and David Rosenthal from Acquired FM. The other podcast you love so much, we're going to chop up the news and right up top, I guess the big news of the day is that Bitcoin uh, has plunged 50% over the last two weeks or so, um, I guess primarily because uh, there is going to be some sort of a crackdown, maybe, over environmental concerns or communism. We've heard this saber rattling before. China's uh, made an announcement about banning crypto again and proposing new penalties for crypto mining uh, in their inner Mongolia region. China's quest to outlaw crypto started, I guess, back in 2017. I think actually it went back to 2013 when they started yeah, making some of these, of these laws. Um, there's been a ton of these. So, gentlemen, what, what are our thoughts here? More saber rattling coming at the worst possible time. China is uh shaking everything up so they can buy the dip what is going on yeah. here <laughs> well okay wait jason before we get into crypto yep we got to talk about taylor taylor. taylor lorenz on the pod new bestie yeah i thought that she would was be amazing uh, i thought she did okay yeah yeah i thought i would play it straight she was on uh the pod and um you know she's a culture reporter i you know i think part of the reason she's so misunderstood or maybe controversial is because people look at her as something more than a culture reporter if you read the style section uh you know in the new york times maybe that's not the same as reading the business section although in today's world maybe it's very analogous yeah. i don't know what, were you, what was your take on her performance i thought she was great i i loved her i thought you guys had a great rapport um i thought she had super great points that being one of them like she's a culture reporter and yeah. then she focuses on creators and that's like those are her people that's her constituency um i also thought she had such a great point that like look i am not the new york times <laughs> i'm right and these are two separate things yeah did you uh get to listen to it ben any thoughts on it i i haven't but i was definitely following taylor's thread around like hey everyone like i'm an employee was with bosses like i'm i am not the ceo of this company and the the thing that has struck me as the most ironic about this whole, um, you know, the the whole kerfuffle that she's been in with many people in the tech ecosystem um, is that, like, tech and entrepreneurial folks should understand that better than everyone. Like, of course, she's very public because she's a, a, a journalist, she's opinionated, she has very interesting content. 
but like she works at a company. So if you're mad at the company, it is so strange to go take it out on an employee. And anyway, that uh, that's kind of I mean, my yeah, my take on that s- angle. Yeah, my my ta- my take on the other side of it is, you know, she incorrectly said that Mark and Treason used the R word, misattributed that. She covertly has, you know, infiltrated clubhouse rooms and has railed against the venture industrial complex. So she kind of has antagonized, I think, the entire industry and then fallen back on, I'm just a culture writer. And so, you know, she's full contact on social media. She's whatever Gen Z. And, you know, she Although knows how to... She's actually not. She's I think she and I are I'm the sure. same age. I think we're, I think we're I'm putting more in the Gen Z bucket just based on behavior. I'm now judging people on behavior. I'm a boomer, <laughs> not Gen X. You guys are Gen X because you're too ambitious. You're not millennials. And she's going down to Gen Z. You guys are also no, very, no, no, there's, seem there's very for, emo for to me. So. For, for Ben and me. I don't know about Ben, but we are, um, we're geriatric millennials. Which is like, you know, we're, we're probably, we're somewhere in between Gen X and Millennial. Like, we're ambitious. Oh, okay. we, we didn't, we remember life before the internet. Like, I, I, I remember pre-internet mm. life. But. So, Beta is more of, uh, I'm referring to you as a collective now. So, Beta is more of uh, a, a, an either very old Millennials or very young Gen Xers. I think uh, David is that I'm I, David four years younger, five years younger. I, I'm squarely in the middle. of the Let me ask you, what do you think of the Smashing Pumpkins? Uh, oh, dad great. music. Dad music. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. See, okay. Okay. <laughs> we are different. <laughs> there you go. Okay. You just that's it. We're done. We're done. If one I mean, of you if you one of you likes I, the Smashing Pumpkins, you're Gen X. And if the other one thinks it's dad music, you're obviously a millennial. The end. Let's talk about crypto. Yeah. Let's what do, do we think about Bitcoin's crash? Is this something? What does this have most to do with China? China? Uh, my, my take is everything that you just said in the intro teeing up China and climate and all these things are noise. Okay. Like, What's w- the signal? Watch the tape. This is, this is the, um, as the paradigm folks sort of coined this term, uh, bubbles as a go to market. Every time that Bitcoin will always have a run up, it will always have a crash down. Um, and so far, it has been very effective at using that run up to bring more people into the ecosystem. It doesn't crash down below the level that it was at before the run up. Uh, it is, um, you know, the crypto community, whether intentionally or not, is very effective at using hype to increase the surface area of the ecosystem. Uh, uh, it is unpredictable to me what the future sort of bubble bursts what will cause those what really caused this one what caused previous ones all we know is i think this will keep happening Mm. and david yeah i think um i i mostly agree with ben i think though one thing that is uh i should have been thinking about before this was kind of in the back of my mind but this uh particular cycle has brought my mind to is the benefit of Bitcoin versus everything else in crypto is it doesn't change, right? But it also doesn't change. And so much is changing in the world. And I, it, it has got me thinking about... What do you mean it doesn't like, change? Well, it's it's locked. You know, like there's... There's it, a finite number of them. Oh, the sorry. Use case. More than that. Just, just like the whole ecosystem. Like Satoshi's got gone. It. Like there is no development there's no changing there's no innovation in bitcoin it is what it is and that's attractive like you know the rules aren't going to change uh but 
Ethereum and all the other protocols out there and everything happening in DeFi, like there is so much innovation happening so fast in crypto that I do wonder if that is actually a better part of the ecosystem to be in relatively versus Bitcoin. I, I have to agree with you there. I've always said, I think if Bitcoin does get replaced as the most attractive crypto, it would be because the other cryptos have a much better use case. People become more engaged with the better use case. And like gold bullion or silver certificates or whatever came before it, 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 you just have more energy in the in Ethereum. You have more energy in some more Dogecoin. There's more going on and it's more excitement and people just sort of lean towards what's yeah. more excitement. I, do, are you seeing this? Like I, I'm definitely seeing all the, especially like younger <laughs> Gen Z, not, not Gen X like me, uh, folks, uh, ambitious founders, people who want to go work at companies, they are all going into crypto, DeFi. That is number one there's destination of, right now. I think there's a, it's, I don't think it's the number one destination. I think there's a lot of energy there, and you you may have this like first generation of believers who were kind of in the let's call them uh, anarchists slash you know societal outcasts, people who were libertarians, maybe Reaction didn't like the financial crisis, yeah, fight against the machine, kind of Wall Street, Occupy Wall Street folks. Um, I think they are giving way to a generation of finance savvy millennials and Gen Zers who I would describe more as the Robinhood crypto, like the Robinhood mm-hmm. Coinbase generation that they're so sophisticated about this stuff that they're doing puts and calls and leveraging themselves up. I, I mean, a hundred times leverage on your Bitcoin. I think a lot of what happened this time around for this dip has to do with leverage. And I don't know if we can statistically prove that because everything is so opaque, even though it's supposed to not be oh, opaque. Oh, yeah. I think that's why you saw the whole crypto asset class get whacked because people are getting margin calls. And yes. like, whatever set this off, I think was pr- probably, you're right, mostly in Bitcoin. In the past, selling your business was a miserable task. Months of negotiation, legal fees, and sometimes you'd have to watch the new owners trash the business that you spent so much time and money building. I have been through this before. Oh my God, I sold Weblogs Inc. to AOL and it was wonderful. And then, oh, years later, they shut down half the blogs, then another 30% of them, and all that's left is Engadget and Autoblog. It was just really heartbreaking for me. They did a great job in the beginning and then totally screwed the whole thing up. Oh, I don't want to even talk about it. But now there's a better way, Tiny. And I had Tiny's co-founder, Andrew wilkinson on episode 1174 back in february because he's a baller he, he's this incredible entrepreneur and he described his new warren buffett-like approach to acquisitions andrew and his team started tiny to become the buyer they wish they could have sold to fair fast and founder friendly if you're looking for a new home for your internet business they'll respond in a day or two make an offer within seven days and close a straightforward deal in about 30 days which is unbelievable So here's a call to action. Tiny partners with founders to give them quick, straightforward exits that protect their team and their culture. Get in touch with tinycapital.com slash this week, and they'll let you know within a couple of days. That's tinycapital, T-I-N-Y, capital.com slash this week. All right, thanks, Tiny Capital. Let's get back to this amazing episode. Either of you ever have margin as a significant portion of your life? No, one, I will never use margin. See, this is the thing, like I... I, I don't even, I can't even, comp- I mean, I have a margin line, I suppose, at one of my bank, my brokerages that I don't tap. Actually, I have it at two of my brokerages now I think about it. 
I don't really tap it, um, but it's there, I guess. But I would never want to live like that. Who wants to live like that being? Yeah, I, I, have, I have enough other things causing me stress in my life that that doesn't feel worth it to me. Yeah. So, I mean, but just think about it. What if when we were 22 years old, we had leverage on our $10,000 worth of savings, pushing us to put 50000 into markets? Um, like, there's a lot of young people who are living with that. Now, if it do, if even if they have the risk of ruin, what's the risk of ruin? 10k, and maybe they go into debt for 10k. I don't know. Like, is yeah, it the end of the is, world? Was the, you know, the Robin Hood suicide tragedy uh, was. I, I would was be careful. This. Well, I would be careful attributing any putting that specific case aside. Anytime you have over a million people using a service, you will yeah, have suicides not, occur. So it might be it was, not, it was not a Robin, Robin Hood suicide. It could be a suicide Fair. that Fair occurred point. where. You know, trading might have been involved in a person's decision, but, you know, a healthy, yes, normal person totally. is not going to kill themselves over using cryptocurrency or whatever. They might have the grounding for it. I, I think it's really hard with that attribution theory. But anyway, so, so can I? Uh, so it, yeah. one interesting thing that I've been ruminating on in crypto, and it's interesting as we start to talk about margin being available, like Jason, as you know, David and I have spent the last month and a half, like hundreds of hours deep in Berkshire Hathaway research. Yeah. And while I have become increasingly excited about the future of, of crypto, in particular DeFi, it is this crazy mental thrashing to go back and forth between being a relative crypto bull and saying like, bubble, bubbles as a go-to-market strategy, you know, we'll continue to see this over and over again, it kind of keeps going up. And also having Warren Buffett in the back of my head, and of course, Charlie saying, these things have no intrinsic value. What do you mean by the dip? The dip uh, is only should only exist relative to some intrinsic value of something. And the only intrinsic value of especially Bitcoin, but you could argue all cryptocurrencies is what you believe that other people will believe that it should be in the future. It doesn't have a set of underlying profits. It doesn't have a set of underlying cash flows. I think Ethereum and DeFi is different because it is truly a distributed computer. You can sort of build interesting applications on top of it. Um, but the wild rashing that has been happening, at least for me, David, I don't know if you feel the same way of buy the dip versus no intrinsic value is like a, a total war in my head. David, how's how's your cognitive dissonance going from <laughs> uh, talking, uh, basically uh, marinating your brain uh, for a couple of days in Warren Buffett's value investing, and then taking that marinated brain and searing it on the grill that is, <laughs> that cryptocurrency. is crypto? Yes. How's your brain? Uh, well, one of my wife's uh, <laughs> favorite quotes that uh, she's much much smarter than I am. She's a PhD. She's wonderful. Uh, and does not work in tech and thinks it's all not, of this not is a high ridiculous. Not a, not a high benchmark, but continue. <laughs> yeah, not a high benchmark. Uh, one of her favorite quotes is, uh, the true hallmark of intelligence is uh, the ability to hold two conflicting ideas in your head at the same time. So okay. I just, you know, I've, I've been having that drilled into me for about 15 years now. Well, which part of Warren Buffett's argument do you think is strongest, Charlie Munger's argument is strongest, and that you take away from that side of the argument... And then we'll go to which side uh, do we think they're most wrong Our on? Argument, uh, uh, their arguments against crypto or parts of their philosophy in general that I like? Yes, yes. The both of those things. Both those, their, okay. their general worldview, let's take their worldview, which includes crypto and value investing. Let's take their entire worldview and where you think they're right and where you think they might have a blind spot, if any. Oh, great. Uh, well, we just wrapped up recording our finale part three last night. So I'm very... Okay, so... 
Warren's whole thing that you hear him say over and over and over again all the time, never bet against America. You know, America is future. Right? And for his life, that was the case. He was born in 1930, right after uh, the stock market crash. And, you know, just like his life has been America up and to the right. And he has been a master at taking the long view on that. Whatever is going to happen in any given year, any given cycle, just like we saw in crypto here, you know, like it's all noise in the long run. Uh, and and I you love, believe that? I be- For believe our lifetime. that view. I'm not sure it's necessarily America is the domain that it applies to anymore. Uh, it may, it may not. I don't have a view one way or the other. In that the market is bigger than America, but American exceptionalism will continue do well, you believe I think it will it continue to through our lifetime? Now. I think it yeah, applies yeah, this to the is, internet, obviously. This is the Rosenthal doctrine. Yeah, is, the, uh, not, not never bet, bet against America, but never bet against the internet. Exactly. Ah, oh, I like that. I like that. I would agree with both of those statements. Ben, when you look at Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger's worldview, life philosophy, as you have marinated in it for three episodes, what is your key takeaway that you think is absolutely spot on, inspiringly correct? And you cannot get out of your head. It's like built into your sort of operating yeah. system now has infected your brain. Well, let me bring it into a poker analogy. So uh, they do investing as an expected value calculation where the there's the probability something will happen and then the payoff if it does happen. Their style of investing indexes about as aggressively as you can towards certainty. And so the payoff is is muted, but we're we're pretty certain that that will continue to happen for many years in the future. Somewhere in the middle, you have tech investing. And if you have mm. early stage tech investing, it skews a little bit more towards spe- speculating, really, than, than investing. you got great people, you got a great trend, but there's no business to analyze really yet. Mm. Um, and then if you keep going all the way on the other side of the spectrum, you've got crypto. And so you have to be comfortable making the complete opposite investment philosophy. And it may be a speculation philosophy where you're saying, the probability of that something happens might be really low, but the payoff will be really, really high. So it is just like, it's that one simple EV equation, and mm. then just weighting the different factors in, in, in dramatic ways. Yet, your chosen profession is not to run a mutual fund and put money into Disney and IBM and Starbucks. Oh. Well, Jason, you got to have fun in life. So, since you don't Look like cigarettes, Ben. <laughs> yeah, Ben's getting a little wild over here. So, Ben, since you don't care about coffee, Disney, and cigarettes, and you don't pour your money into those things, you're basically saying their safe philosophy is not for Ben Gilbert. You uh, prefer certainly not to be a wild in my man. life. Yeah. See, I think that's actually a reasonable decision. At your age, 23, this is a better decision for you right now you're 22 what are you what are you you're 30, <laughs> you're 30, 30, 30, 31 you're 31 right? 31 so you want to hit your thousand x you want that possibility you're not going to get that possibility buying disney or starbucks or apple stock it's not possible and, and, okay and frankly to, to bring us back to to cryptocurrencies I am sympathetic to the argument that uh, you can sort of look at bitcoin as it could grow into steel gold's market cap and that the idea that there's still a 10, 15x left in Bitcoin, uh, it's not investment advice. I don't know if this is going to happen, but I'm sympathetic to that belief and it makes sense to me. It's not crazy. It's not crazy. There are other other things. You look at Uniswap or some of these other Solana where it could still be a thousand X. Um, but explain you know, those to two, go back to, to the that, audience. Ex- Uniswap and 
So Ooh, can I kick this to David? He's deeper than okay. I am. <laughs> I'm okay, Dave. Well, we uh, since we we're bringing up thousand X's, let's. Yeah. I can't let that one just <laughs> fall on the cutting room floor. Let's yeah. And of course, like the. You got to do the expected value thing. Like you have to assign your own very low probability versus Bitcoin's much more sort of muted, reasonable probability. Right. The idea that all of the people who have taken on Bitcoin as a religion and as a store of value would all, in some short period of time, say, "You know what? I do. I no longer believe what I believed for the last ten years, five years, three years, with a ten percent bet of my net worth." The fact that they would all unravel that would be hard to believe yeah well they I mean, would the, go like down kicking right and screaming i think it's so yeah. often in investing the right answer is you don't know what the future holds it's uncertain and so you should do both like right um but yeah no uh uniswap and, and solana are two different examples of i think where a lot of the innovation is happening right now so uniswap is a um uh automated market maker liquidity pool uh, that allows you so like when you trade like uh, I just experienced this the a uh, couple weeks ago. I sold some um, I sold some stock uh, in my brokerage at Vanguard uh, because I wanted to. I was transferring over to my four hundred one k doing the SEP IRA plan. So I was just liquidating some stock from my brokerage account. Wanted to get it into my IRA account. Uh, it took five days from the time I put the sell order into my brokerage account to then I could buy in my SEP IRA account, even though all at Vanguard, same securities, I don't want all I want to do is transfer ownership. That's ridiculous. And that happens because you got to have counterparties on the other side of your trade. And then it takes three days for the trades to settle. you know, all this from, you know, Robinhood yeah. and whatnot. Uh, Uniswap is an automated liquidity pool, uh, market maker, all just happens instantaneously, all decentralized, you know, there are no counterparties. I mean, it's all within the pool, all done through smart contracts on ethereum awesome so let's explain that in plain english you you own a bitcoin it's worth thirty eight thousand dollars you say you know what i don't want to be in bitcoin anymore i want to have more risk and fun owning doge and ethereum yep. so i want to swap my bitcoin for 50 percent doge and 50 percent ethereum my normal course of events would be to sell my Bitcoin on my Coinbase account or whatever you use, yep. Robinhood, etc. Pay a bunch of fees, which would be not de minimis. Wait and then go buy Doge and Ethereum at whatever the market rate is, and pay another fee. Correct. Yeah. Meanwhile, how there is are, Uniswap there are market different? makers uh, in, in what you described? There are market makers on the other sides of those transactions that are profiting off of your, you know, your mm -hmm. order flow ascendant order flow whatever like it's a service that they're providing to the market with uniswap swap and other decentralized market makers they're just liquidity pools and then anybody you me no matter how much uh of any one token we have we could have a lot we could have a little whatever we can put our our tokens into the liquidity pool and then we can get paid for it just like whoever's providing liquidity and the markets are getting paid uh and it'll all happen instantaneously and it's all decentralized so I put my one Bitcoin into Uniswap. They now take ownership of that. They have custodian of my one Bitcoin. And then other people get to do what with it? That's a good question. I don't know. I'm not deep enough to know whether custodial ownership actually transfers or not. I would assume to some some I, rights yeah. do. Uh, but um, 
but yeah, like if you're like, yeah, I'm going to hold this Bitcoin. I'm not going to do anything with it. I'll just stick it into this liquidity pool and then you're going to get a yield on that. Huh. This new world of remote work is here to stay. So are all of the HR and IT headaches. Like how do you register your startup with dozens of state tax agencies or comply with the gazillion different labor laws? How about managing remote employees' computers? Another pain point. Rippling, which I use for my fully remote team at Inside, can answer those questions. They make it super easy to manage all of your local and remote employees and contractors, whether they work from your HQ or Timbuktu. When you hire people in new states, Rippling can automatically register your startup with each state tax agency and keep you compliant with all the different local labor laws. You know, the stuff that no one likes dealing with. From there, Rippling lets you onboard new hires in literally 90 seconds. You can instantly set up payroll, benefits, and apps like Slack and GitHub. So you don't forget to do that, (laughs) which I've had happen. You can even ship them a work laptop with all the software and security they need. My team at Inside loves Rippling because it takes a lot of complexity off of our plate so my team can focus on the more important stuff like creating our great newsletters and our online events. And now thanks to Rippling's new PEO option, you know about that personal employer organization, your employees can likely access better Fortune 500 level benefits for less than other platforms. So if you're looking for an easier way to run your startup remotely, or just get a better way to manage your HR and IT, visit rippling.com slash twist. That's R-I-P-P-L-I-N-G.com slash T-W-I-S-T. Great company. And it saves us time. I suddenly feel like Michael Che and like uh, Colin Jost asking what asking Elon what Doge is yeah. and it's like it's a grift because uh, <laughs> like I'm kind of like so yeah, who owns the pool did you write that joke by the way that is so freaky no no you no, no. Be, leave me okay, no 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 let's not talk, life right I don't want to talk about the SNL thing at all <laughs> I don't I mean, my... let's not talk about it but you got to be loving life the pandemic is essentially over uh, yes. Holy Spirit, you are traveling. You're seeing. I you am must living be, my best life. You are out of by design. Cage. I am out. The tiger has left the building. <laughs> like I literally was like this tiger, and like I pushed the gate with my nose by accident, and it kind of creaked open. And then I put my paw out, and I was like touching the ground, and like wait a second. I'm out. Is somebody going to hit me with the electric prod? And then I'm like, I run back in and then I came back out a little bit more. And then I was like, oh shit, I'm, I'm running. And I just <laughs> bolted the heck out of the cage and I am, I am going, li- I'm literally in New York, went to the Knicks game Sunday, went to the Nets game last night, going to the Knicks game Fifro tonight, going to Raul's Ooh. Monday night, having the steak au poivre, oh, you know, man. full contact on you know, full contact on Twitter, just walking over the Brooklyn Bridge and Manhattan Bridge multiple times, drinking iced coffee, just living my best life, going back to Austin, hitting Miami. I am done with the pandemic, 100%. Like, I am done. How are you guys doing with your post-pandemic lives? I'm curious, now that we're catching up. I'm feeling similarly. I mean... You're vaxxed, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a month in or something. Um... And, you know, there's still risk, but it's, uh, I think this has really opened my eyes to relative risk in a mm. way that I don't think I used to think enough about. Like, not doing stuff has a downside too. And that downside might be way, way higher than wow. the idea. Example. Of, um, okay. So I don't know if these percentages are right, but let's say the percentage of me going out in the world, including indoor dining, and let's even take an extreme example, like an indoor cycling class. Um, 
the probability of me getting, you know, life altering or serious COVID at this point has to be similar to me, like driving my car to work every day for some period of time certainly or less. something, certainly, less. you know, like certainly less. Right. And so if I'm willing to take those risks in my life to date, shouldn't I be willing to take this risk mm. of living my life? And what is the risk of not living my life at this point? That has an immensely high... Uh, depression, surfer, suffering, right. yeah. anxiety, right. doom scrolling at 4 a.m. and being a caged tiger. Tigers and are so, meant yeah. to be in the jungle. <laughs> and Absolutely. And, and, thus and, your shirt and, today. And you are a tiger in the jungle. <laughs> yes. that, look at Ben's shirt. He's gone buck wild. I mean, are you going to dye your hair, Ben? What's going on? I mean, it's already close to Rosenthal length, so... I it, mean, you've gone uh, full Rosenthal, but are you going to dye it? Have, <laughs> let me ask you this. Have you considered dye? I consider dyeing my hair blue coming out of the pandemic. I've always wanted to have blue hair, and I was like, I'm kind of thinking no better about time, it. my friend. I'm kind of thinking about it. I think it would be ridiculous. That would be And amazing. I think... What do you, if you were going to dye your hair, what color would you go, Ben? So I was one of those kids in middle school that did blonde tips, like the frosted, oh, uh, frosted, frosted tips. I had, frosted. I had the wave okay. in the front that was really? just the wave was blonde for a little bit. Wow. Um, I was frosted so, flakes. I never thought to do it to my hair though. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anything that I do, I would have to make sure resembled nothing like that. Uh, <laughs> Ever. Can we get a photo of that? <laughs> can we get a photo oh of you with highlights? I'll see what I can do. I'll, I'll, All right. I'll so dig, now back to yeah. the... Warren Buffett philosophy. I, I really like what you guys have taken from 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 them. Now, the criticism from the crypto side is these people are old and whatever lessons they learned are wrong. That's is there fair. anything is there anything, David? I mean, it's correct that they're very old, but do you think even Warren would agree with you there? He, I mean, there's I mean, collectively, are they 180? <laughs> I mean, one's 90, Char Charlie Munger's 97, 90 Warren is 91. Okay, so if you add those two numbers up, you're minusing 13, they're 187 combined? Yeah. I mean, dang, we should all be so lucky. So yeah. I wonder, David, do you think their historical perspective, you know, to the crypto people saying, don't listen to oldsters, do Knowing what you know now, do you think that that criticism of their wisdom is not applicable going forward? Are you more convinced uh, of that or are you more convinced well, I, that it's applicable? Uh, more convinced it's not applicable. I have two takes on this. Wow. One, I could be wrong, but like I've okay. listened to them talk about a lot. I don't think they've actually dug into anything in crypto. Like, you know, mm. there, there are arguments against Bitcoin. You know, like you could take it or leave it. I don't personally agree with it. Like, I don't th I think Bitcoin is valuable, like, mm. et cetera. But like, they haven't dug into anything beyond that. Like, they just don't engage. Uh, Got so it. I think it's hard to take their criticism seriously when you're like, dude, you guys haven't done that. Okay. Work. Now, what uh, about their philosophical the advice? Philosophical thing. So, um, and their outlook uh, on our buddy, value investing. Our buddy Andrew Marks uh, at TQ Ventures, uh, who's awesome. Uh, we talked about this in the episode. He, uh, he's known Warren and Charlie like most, most of his whole life. Uh, his dad's Howard Marks, the, um, yeah. you know, uh, and studied them. He's good. And his take on this is like, look, Warren is, is, and was the world's greatest, uh, he calls it status quo investor. As long as the future is mostly going to look like the present, nobody is better than Warren at handicapping probabilities, valuations, making investments, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And track record, which shows it that. did until like 1995. Honestly, like you look from 1950 to 1995, 
a lot of stuff changed, but nowhere near the rate that the world reorganizes itself on a five-year and one-year basis now. Yeah. And there's this great moment in 97 at the Sun Valley, the Allen & Company conference. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so there's a panel on stage with the uh, Robert Roberto Goizetta, the CEO of Coke, uh, Warren Buffett, hmm. and Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah. And on this panel... Gates is like he like mortally offends uh, Roberto. Roberto never talks to him again for the rest of his life. Or he's like, well, bas- he basically says, look, Coca-Cola could be run by a ham sandwich, like, <laughs> which is a, a Warren line that he borrows. It's, it's a freaking true. Uh, wow. And, um, yeah. And he's like, versus Microsoft, like, it's dynamic. Things are changing. Like, I'm going to have to retire because by the time I'm six, I'm your age. I'm not going to be able to run Microsoft because things change too fast. And, wow. Uh and that's the world we live in today. Like, and, well, and well, actually, though, in fairness, Coca Cola and the drinking of soda might have taken three decades has gotten absolutely pummeled, and like, yeah. they're in the water. I mean, they're still in the liquid business, I guess. Arguably, liquid in bottles is still their business, but you know, it's it's definitely not soda. I'm not anymore. excited to buy Coke stock. Yeah, Coke stock was a really high performer. Yeah, I guess you have to roll with the punches. Okay, Ben, just wrapping up here. Uh, anything in their philosophy that sticks with you in a deep way um i'm listening to a walk down wall street um right oh, now random walk down wall street a random walk down yeah, wall street right now and i'm just i am so enamored with these fraud moments <laughs> it's mm. just like zeke cleaners and all of these different like chicken stands going public it's literally like the worst of SPACs combined with the worst of crypto combined with theranos and you're like this happened in the 60s they added <laughs> Chronics to a name of a company, and it went from four times, you know, uh, an EBITDA multiple to 16. I'm like, hmm, where have I heard that before? Oh, yeah, adding .com. Oh, no, adding crypto. It's like, it's the same movie over and over again. Some trend happens, the charlatans come in, it's a real trend, and they just take suckers' money from it. Bet anything you want to close with there? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that's left an impact on me, and and of course, the world has changed. And I I believe that you need a different style of investing today to to deal with um, the fact that the world completely changed five, 10 years from now underneath Mm. your feet. But their notion of intense preparation to be ready when the moment comes to move Mm. quickly I don't think I fully understood and appreciated that before. The way that they were able to take some of these really big positions in companies that just, you know, knock their socks off was because they spent years understanding the sector, understanding that business. And mm. they said, if it ever got to this price, like, let's say someone tried to buy them and then backed out and then the stock pummeled, they were always there and could make a decision in an hour because wow. of how prepared they were. Wow. And, and I think it's that level of... Um, of sort of preparation and sort of itemizing opportunities if at the right price they ever came along to be able to move quickly. That's a powerful concept. And of course, the epic moment was 2008 when they bought 5 billion worth of preferred shares in Goldman Sachs during the the preferred thing. They did Um, way better on their B of A deal than on uh, Goldman. Well, the Goldman, I think um, it, uh, they redeemed them. Uh, earning three point five. They got about eight billion back on the five billion invested. Oh, so they made wow. three billion in profit. I mean, it's incredible. With three point seven billion. I mean, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. You know, when we talk, we talk about multiples because we're investing at such small, you know, implied. We're, we're betting against long odds, small bets, and we we need a hundred x. 
But when you're putting a big number to work and you get a big number back, even if it's not 2x, it's still yeah. a lot of capital in well, a short period of time. That, like was, that, that was, was in, fixed income. That was, that was yeah. not common equity. It was a preferred. It was essentially debt. So it right, was well, low risk, high return. That was a great move. All right. Before we move on to James Bond, uh, I'll leave you with this incredible quote, uh, which I love from Warren Buffett. I try to invest in businesses that are so wonderful that an idiot can run them because sooner or later, one will. <laughs> <laughs> this is the ham it's, sandwich idea. It's uh, the ham sandwich idea. The ham so, sandwich. Well, I mean, I, I, have, I have been thinking about this myself. And I, if I could take, like, I, I would love for there to be a vehicle. And somebody please email me if this exists in the world. As I liquidate and get tech stocks, is there a way, I know there are these like um, ways to transfer shares, almost like this Uniswap, like into pools and, and exchange trades. I just want somebody to create um, a way for me to just take a percentage of my net worth and just hit a dial and put it into Disney and Amazon or whatever, you know, like just these are three things that I believe will exist and be bigger when my kids grow up. <laughs> I just want to move a percentage of my net worth every year into a Disney stock. Just do, do, do. You should just pellet. do that. I guess. I, the problem is like I, I, I'm struggling with this concept of paying all this capital gains and then buying another uh, share yeah. versus keeping tech stocks that are high growth. You know, like mm. if you own Square, like an Uber and Robinhood and Com or whatever. Shopify. You have to own Shopify. You. Like, okay, this is a great run. It's going to keep going. But I would really like to own some Disney, too. Yeah. How do you want to be Sequoia that, that sold Apple and made $3 million on their investment total or $6 million, you know? That yeah. You, you, you what, stay uh, in that one. Well, this is not investment advice, but couldn't you, um, couldn't you borrow against your stock and then do it that way? I don't think you're, I mean, I think borrowing against stock and then buying other stock is the big no-no. I think they give oh, you like a huge <laughs> warning, <laughs> like- and I, I'm sure people do it, but I think there's like a big warning. Like, if you're taking margin to get stock, please don't buy stock. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for another R Crowd deal of the week. Right now, you can join R Crowd's investment in Cyto Reason. Cyto Reason has partnered with five of the 10 largest pharma companies to deliver life saving drugs at a fraction of the time and cost. According to the deal memo, Cyto Reason's AI models the human body at the molecular level and completely changes what's possible in the trillion-dollar drug development landscape. You can get in early on Cyto Reason and other unique opportunities at rcrowd.com slash twist. By the way, did you know that rcrowd investors were able to get in on some of the best IPOs of 2019 and 2020? They benefited from companies IPOing like Beyond Meat and Lemonade and some of rcrowd's companies have been acquired by buyers like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, Oracle, and Uber. With our crowd, accredited investors can invest directly and easily in startups early before they IPO or get bought. Accredited investors can participate in single company deals for as little as $10,000 or one of our crowd's funds for as little as $50,000. The investment professionals at R-Crowd have already invested hundreds of millions of dollars in over 200 companies with dozens of exits. Again, the R-Crowd account is free. Just go to ourcrowd.com slash twist. That URL again, rcrowd.com slash T-W-I-S-T. All right. Uh, James Bond has been acquired by Bond Jeff Bezos. Da-da! 
I mean, this is the no-brainer acquisition, isn't it? Nine billion or so. James Bond has made like ten billion historically. Like, it's just a no-brainer that they would buy this, right? Shocking that those geniuses at Amazon negotiated a really nice M and A deal. I mean, I, I I've never heard of them uh, uh, having a very favorable terms acquisition before. This is brand new news. Of course, it's not. The uh, they, they are notor- notoriously unbelievable negotiators, um, and they they definitely found a way to I, I believe get uh, to, uh, get this asset on super opportunities. It's amazing terms. it hadn't been picked up yet. I mean, the MGM has been around the block so many times. Back when I, I was a media investment banker in New York, right after uh, right out of undergrad, and MGM this was in two thousand seven two thousand eight. MGM was getting chopped around all the time. Then I can't believe a major media company hadn't picked it up yet uh, well i mean huge it, move for amazon 8.45 billion um is the official price and if you just look at james bond i was thinking about this and i just did some google searches 27 films over 58 years okay so this is a six decade franchise star wars was 77 so you had the 70s 80s 90s aughts 2010 so that also is i guess about to Weren't hit you telling us when you went on our pod that uh you had like pirated the Empire Strikes Back or something. Yeah, that back was in my Brooklyn. original business was Jason's Hot Tapes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had started um, a my first business was Jason's Hot Tapes, and I literally had a bootleg copy of the Empire Strikes Back, and I just kept bootlegging it worse and worse. You could barely <laughs> watch it, but you know, uh, some guy owed my dad money. He lost in poker or backgammon, and in exchange, these guys at like one of the theaters in Bensonhurst would set up. 10 VHS tapes and they would start the movie and they would literally run and hit the record button right down the line and then take the tapes out, run the movie again, doom, 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 and they would just make, you know, in one day, because they had stolen, they literally stole off a truck, a copy of Empire Strikes Back. Nobody knows where that tape was. And there were all kinds of scams like this. I mean, the other one we were doing was I had met a guy um, from one of my friends in fifth grade, sixth grade, and... um, then he wanted copies of like Chessmaster, and then when we were like in eighth or ninth grade, we started pirating Chessmaster for PC, and he would give us like a dollar. So we would go steal floppy disks, which cost three dollars, from like a store. We'd literally steal them, <laughs> and <laughs> then the we would make copies discount. of this, and th- we take the five finger discount, and then actually we negotiated more like five dollars because I think Chessmaster was fifty. So we would give it to five. He would sell it for ten. And we would just sit there and every time the disc would come out of the machine, you know, in 20 minutes of copying it, we'd be like, well, there's five bucks. Well, there's five bucks. Well, there's five bucks. It was like we were counting out five and a quarter inch floppies. But enough of my life Amazing. of crime, Young uh, Jason which will today be in the book. Slang and Doge oh, God. I mean, I, I literally could have been Lex Luthor um, if, if I had pursued that path. Thank the Lord the internet happened and I had a place to put this. But uh, worldwide box office, um, if you adjust it for inflation, $14 billion. The last four films with Daniel Craig, who I think is kind of the best Bond ever. I don't, well, we'll rate Bonds in a second. $2.9 yes, yes. box office. Um, and it's currently the fourth ho- highest grossing franchise worldwide. The Marvel Cinematic I mean, Universe, Scott, $22 billion. Go ahead. Skyfall alone did over a billion one in revenue, and it only cost 150 million to make. I mean, these are cash cows. I mean, and I don't know how they. I mean, Daniel Craig is like, I'm getting old. Like, I, and they just like 150 oh, yeah, million, gonna, yeah. 300. I think he's getting. Unless <laughs> my researchers look it up, but I thought he got 150 million for the last two films, or 300 million. I can't remember if it was for some reason and the number was, 150, and he was like, I am out. I hate this role. And when I saw him say that right. publicly, I'm like, he's good for two more. 
Like that's the move on the way <laughs> he's out. Negotiating up. That's what he's doing. Yes. When you say I am done with this, I hate this character. That means you got two left, right? Because yep. you're you're poisoning the well, but you know you're kind of like there is a you're number. You're open to getting paid. Exactly. Yeah. Like you know, like when Robert Downey Jr. says, "I hate Iron Man," he's doing four he's more. Yeah. That's the basically how it goes. <laughs> uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe has done twenty-two billion across like eight thousand movies at this point. Star Wars ten billion. Harry Potter, uh, sadly, I know you guys love this, you millennials, but that uh, piece of garbage to. made mine. JK Rowling went off the deep end. Like, did she? I mean, I don't know. What, oh I, God, David, I don't haven't been. Okay, this. we can't go there. <laughs> Should, do we want to get into? Uh, no, women's fighting for women's rights yeah. <laughs> against trans people. Hmm, yeah. Free white guys. Should we go there? Okay, yeah, let's not go there. Okay, let's not go. There. Let's, let's not stick. Go there. Let's stay in our lane. <laughs> Don't want to talk about feminism and trans rights? Uh, okay, great. Let's stick on Bond, something we know. Who's the best Bond? Let's just start there. Ooh. Give me your uh, number Sean Connery. One, your how, number how on earth could anybody okay. not say Sean? Daniel okay. Craig close too, but Sean, come on. Okay. Sean Connery. I respect, I respect yeah. that. I, David? I, I agree. I've got such a soft spot for Pierce Brosnan for two reasons, though, just because that's what I grew up with. And two... Well, he did like two he, of them, right? GoldenEye 64 four. is... <laughs> the number one bond related media property in history <laughs> i put so many thousands of hours so literally your bond game. decision is based upon <laughs> the guy who they blocked from doing the role and he did like one great video game one of the best video games of all time okay he, he, the quality he, he of that video definitively... game i would argue is 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 infinitely higher than any individual bond movie what Wow, like, you're out of your mind. You're so out of your you're mind. Never, also, okay, Pierce you're, Brosnan you're is old. definitively oh. the worst Bond, no doubt. Ah, it's all wow. like, give me George Lazenby any day. Okay, everybody, there it is. The Acquired Podcast has ended. The breaking news: <laughs> they've broken up. I'm going to take one of them for one of them's going to the All In Pod as an alternate, and one of them's going to go with this week in startups. That's the end of the podcast. You're all getting refunds on your pro accounts. All right, let me correct you guys. Now, when I was growing up, my first Bond was Roger, Roger Moore. Moore. So I believed, like Lauren Michael says uh, from SNL, whichever cast you grew up on is your favorite cast, just like whatever album you grew up on or period of music is your the best music ever. I grew up on Roger Moore, and I have a soft spot, soft spot for him. But when I look back on it historically, he was suave, but he wasn't dark. And then I look at Sean Connery, and he was suave, and I think more masculine and stronger as a Bond. Oh, and he could fight. And I he mean, could fight. Connery, and, he would. He and would he was pose. a scoundrel. And he was a scoundrel. So you had a little bit more of that. But he wasn't dark. He wasn't yeah. super dark. Although and then you have Daniel. A badass. Like he's a it's badass. It's hard to be more badass, but with than Sean a Connery. smile, right? Like he yeah. would push you into a pool of sharks and wink. And it, but he, you know, he wasn't <laughs> going to shoot you in the back or the stomach and watch you bleed out. And that's why I have come to the conclusion that the best Bond, the most accurate Bond, is Daniel Craig. Hmm. Because he is yeah. troubled, he is dark. In the same way I look at Batman's today, where I felt for a period of time that, um, you know, like in terms of casting, you've got to think the Dark Knight is the best Batman of the series. But when you look Absolutely. back on the Batman that, um, oh, what's his name? Gosh, why is it not coming to me? Uh, that was the one I grew up. Michael Keaton. Michael, Michael Keaton, Keaton is an is just an incredible actor, incredible actor. Uh, and his Batman could have been the best Batman, I believe, 
if they had made the series darker, but when they made it sort of comic booky with Jack Nicholson, it was, campy. it was a little too campy. So I have to go with obviously the Dark Knight series. Um, it's so weird. You're not. I, you're not even talking about Ben Affleck. Actually, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I, did you guys see the Snyder cut? I mean, yeah, I, it was even Snyder, worse than the original cut. No, you're crazy. Oh my god. No, that's the, it. The four by three thing really bothered me. That it was, was like a weird. Tick that I couldn't shake. That was very weird. The I story was better though. You're right. The story was so much better. The character development was so much better. The Flash was so much better. Cyborg was so much better. It just goes to show it's like founder authority versus a hired gun CEO. Like you really felt that kind of switch. So mm -hmm. for Amazon, this is just another awesome acquisition in the mold of their Whole Foods. Like, how did somebody else not get this? Yeah, it's how interesting. How did somebody else not it's, get it? it? It's old IP, right? I was looking at the names of a lot of these films. It's Bond, it's Raging Bull, it's Silence Robocop. the Lambs. Yeah, yeah like n none of this is new. So it, it is effectively, I think it's two things. It's one hey, we finally have a bat catalog in Amazon mm. Prime Video that's not our originals that we yes. like, own outright, that we're not borrowing and competing every year to license and mm. fighting Netflix, that sort of thing. But then it's also, we are going to, and I know this was a sticking point in the deal, so I'm curious to see where it lands. We are going to do what Disney did with Marvel on Disney Plus and do a zillion shows. We are going to start repurposing the Bond IP, yep. the... Um, you know, all of this different historically classic IP, Rocky, and figure out things to do in, uh, like, brand new things to do with that IP in Amazon. Absolutely. If you look, they own Stargate and RoboCop. And if you think about those two franchises, those would be amazing series to do yeah, a Stargate totally. series again. Because oh, yeah. Stargate, Stargate was yeah. a great movie and a great series. <laughs> RoboCop, incredible IP. Just think about the world building you could do in RoboCop alone. That would be an amazing vehicle. Yeah. For a series, and I just want to give a shout out here to Dread. I don't know if you guys saw the Dread film from, I think it was 2009 or something, D-R-E-D-D. -E um, this film is such a good dark science fiction film, and they're, they've been talking about the 2020 film Dread uh, with Carl Urbane becoming a series. Did you, either of you happen to see this Dread, no. 2012? No. Is it, Watch uh, this oh, it's, Dread. It's, uh, it is, is this a great Dread? It is. So the Judge Dread was comic booky. This is the Dark Knight version of Dread. Uh, in other words, the true poster to the original even looks form. like the Dark Knight. When you see this film, it is so good. It has the woman Lena, um, what's her name from uh, Lena Hedy from um, Game of Thrones in it as the mm. villain. It is amazing. It is like dark science fiction. Thank oh, me later cool. to the audience. Um, the uh, but there's right, also make, there's, just, there's such an easy win here. Like th those are like. Uh, the next wins that Amazon can, I'm sure, are capable of doing. The easy win here is like the the uh, operations of the Bond franchise have been so screwed up. Like these yes. movies come out so slowly. Amazon's going to be able to clean that up, pump out a movie every two two and a half years. Yeah, easy win. Also, just yeah, think you about got ten out of Craig on Amazon's schedule. Yeah. Well, uh, also think about. Um, you know, with an unlimited budget and you think about that world, you know, we know 007, but they've never really told the stories of any of the other Bonds. And I know this would be sacrilegious, I guess, but, you know, they've been talking about this controversy of, oh, what if Bond was a different, wasn't a white guy, right, basically. Um, like, well, why not tell the story well, of five well, or six different agents, you know? 007 will not be a white guy in this upcoming movie. Uh, oh, in the new one? Do they, did they cast that yet or no? It, it, yeah, so Daniel Craig is still James Bond, but there is a 007 who is ah, not a white man. Oh. oh, 
Oh, yes. right. So they are already preparing the audience because he's retired or something, and she's now taken over. Ah, uh, I, I, I knew we were talking about that. I don't remember. My my, uh, I read the story like six months ago. Yeah. So anyway, they've been talking about 007 being played by a woman or a different person, a different you know whatever, uh, a, a non-white English male. And so yeah, I think well, that's going like to be Idris Elba for years and years and years. And but why oh, not? That would have been so awesome. Yeah. I mean, why not tell the story of the other 00 agents? Like, you, if you think about world building. You know, you think about Lord of the Rings, you think about what they did with Game of Thrones, like it, it need not be about 007. You could create a whole world here of the other agents and other jobs right. they were doing. Yeah. The MI6. That could re- right. You could do MI6 and you could do a series MI6 that then dovetails and explain and builds fabric between all the movies. So imagine between Moonraker, you know, and Skyfall and, and all these things, they could go back and forth to the 80s, to the 70s and do fan service between all the different bonds yeah that, that would be such a, that one will be such an interesting dance because unlike a marvel cinematic universe or a star wars where they really do have an answer for everything a lot of it's very hand wavy in bond where they're like oh well it's always in the present and that's why the technology always sort of evolves and like no, actually, all the bonds, all these different actors, they're the same person, and they've always yes. been the same age, and and right. like there's conflicts all over the place, and I, it, it would be an interesting job to be the person who is in charge of figuring out how to make this into a proper universe and create continuity with all the hand waving that they've done in the past. Uh, interesting. So there is a term for this. Is it recon or re- retcon? Uh, retcon. Retroactively. Retcon convert conforming uh, something like, yeah something like that uh retcon now a piece of new information that imposes a different interpretation on previously described events typically used to facilitate a dramatic plot shift or account for an inconsistency revise an aspect of fictional work retrospectively typically to introduce a new piece of information that imposes a different interpretation previous- right like actually i think that there was like some retconning D- D- disney of- did this with star wars they, they, right, they the decided whole- that they named a certain set of, of art as canon and there was non-canon and like if you were non-canon, then it's not part of the story. Well, and remember, the the criticism of Star Wars was like, oh, they built the Death Star and they left a hole in it that could blow up the whole thing. Like that's the stupidest <laughs> thing ever. These are the smartest engineers. They can make a planet-sized weapon and they left a hole in it. It's like, no. An engineer who was being, who was secretly built this flaw oh, and gave it to genius. his daughter... So that whole thing with um, what's the movie? That was Rogue the, One. Uh, Rogue, Rogue One, One best, yeah. is best literally the best retcon ever. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. literally yeah. retconned I, the one floor in Star Wars. Such a good congratulations movie. to the Star Wars. I mean, I think of of my Beautiful, favorite Star Wars movies. Is that's got to be up there for me? I mean, just the Darth Vader scene at the end. Oh my god! Oh, so, so good. I, so good. I literally I think that was the most that. emotional I felt that year. That Absolutely. Well, so good. I mean, you're a you're a you're. Can we talk? Kind of, I was thinking about this the other I day. I don't want to say you have Asperger's, bad, but you don't have a big <laughs> emotional range. If Darth Vader was your biggest emotional <laughs> moment for the year, <laughs> oh, yeah. he's like, it's actually that one. <laughs> I'll back that up. This is great. Uh, but David, we, I was thinking biggest, about this the other David, day. what was your biggest emotional moment of the year? Was it like a mm. SpongeBob SquarePants moment or was it like yes. 
what was it for you? Oh, <laughs> man, I have to, I have to think about that. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I, but the emotion I was feeling the other day was just I'm so sad and disappointed at how bad episode nine was. Oh, you guys with garbage. me on this? Garbage. garbage. Uh, you guys want to know the best tweet of my life? Best Twitter moment in 11 years on the Ooh. platform or whatever, 15 years? I said they should retcon the entire post-trilogy, get rid of 789, and redo it with Mark Hamill and show the story of the building of the Jedi Temple and give people what they want. And Mark Hamill liked it. Oh wow! I am not kidding. You're making a case Throw. for a career transition into the into the. There you go. The there you go. Absolutely, make me a. St- I was born to be a studio head. Absolutely, get me a humidor <laughs> with cigars in it. I will throw people out of my Amazon office. Amazon might be looking will, for somebody to run MGM. I'll throw. I'll throw a MacBook out the window. I'll do whatever. I'll drive my car up on the sidewalk on a bush and park it there. I don't <laughs> care. I'll be a studio head. <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> You were These things all this. happen in Entourage? I think so, yeah. I, yeah. I would be a great studio head. I would make oh absolutely God. flippant Somebody's decisions option and take credit for other people's work. into the like, Silicon so Valley true. version of Entourage. Oh, my God. With the Th- besties. That's hilarious. That's like, hilarious. How good would that be? Okay, yeah. Calling HBO. If they yeah. want to recall, if they want to create a series <laughs> based on my insane life and punch you're it the, up three levels. You're the Emanuel going into the Ari oh, Gold God. character. Like... Uh, but uh, so imagine that though. See, I think that that's actually what's happening. If you remember at the end of The Mandalorian, you had Luke Skywalker show up and take Grogu, spoiler mm. alert. And did you notice he was a fast Jedi at that point? You notice the speed he had was oh. similar to Anakin Skywalker uh. and Obi-Wan in the prequels? He was a fast Jedi, right? So the Jedi in Star Wars were all slow because they were old. And they had, you know, Darth Vader was missing three limbs and was on life support. Obi-Wan was 80 years old. They were slow Jedi and Luke was a new Jedi. So he barely knew how to use his lightsaber. So you watch those lightsaber battles and it looks ridiculous. But when you go to the prequels, you remember how fast they are and they're fighting yeah. drones that are Yoda shooting flips like 16 times exactly. to one saber strike. Then you have the new series and all of a sudden they're fast again. That's because Luke Skywalker became fast. Luke Skywalker becomes like a real fast Jedi, gets Grogu, and then Princess Leia becomes a Jedi, and then you just create an entirely new story and Great. throw away seven, eight, nine. I'm, I'm, I'm with you just because right nine in the was garbage. so bad. I liked, I liked eight, though. What did you think of eight? I, you know, I tried to like it. I tried to like it. I just don't like when people are trying to do something other than tell a great story with great mm. characters and aesthetics and dialogue and performance in movies. When they try to lecture you through the story, I hmm. it, it breaks me out of the story. I'm like, please don't hmm. lecture me about being woke in the middle of Star Wars. Like, I, I get that all day long on Twitter. I'm not at the movies for you to scream at me like hysterical libs on Twitter or troll hmm. me like the right, right? Like, that's what they did with that movie. They're like, by the way, here are some other characters who haven't been represented before. And I'm like, I get it. Hmm. Yes, I understand. Star Wars was made at a time. When it was like only white people, I got it. Now you're making it, and it's just like a little bit That's tedious. Fair. I did. I really well, liked. And, oh, and, go ahead. Ben. And 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 the 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 direction they took the story in because of that made no sense. Like the entire 25 minute segment on the Vegas planet, yeah. to just show <laughs> exactly. that those wealthy people were financing the war. Yeah. You're like, eh, I get it. Yes, 
You could have done that in a one yeah, or two passing lines. So what, the thing, though, for me that I really liked about it, though, was the the Ray is nobody uh, thing. Like, I thought that was great. Yeah. I, the only thing I don't like about Ray is nobody is that they head faked us into thinking she's Obi-Wan's child. She's Luke's well, child. I think she's they, the Emperor's the child. She's a clone. I mean, yeah. they didn't this, actually know. Right. I mean, th- th- this shows the dysfunction that was going on in the organization at that point. Yeah. My beef with the final trilogy is that it didn't have one single director. I Correct. actually would have been fine if it was JJ all the way through. The film yes. I didn't like was eight. I actually liked nine because if you're going to mm. do seven and nine in that style, you're basically saying we're doing kind of a fun fan service reboot of Star Wars with great modern technology. It's going to feel a lot like the original. There's going to be... You know, it's not going to feel groundbreaking. Ryan mm. Johnson is a groundbreaking director. He's artistic. Yes. He is Makes uh, bold daring. Choices. Yeah. Yeah. And so having that sandwiched in between JJ movies that were really trying to just preserve what George had created, created this, this like just ugly discontinuity. And I wish they had, had just committed to someone early on. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. All right, listen, this has been This Week in Film. Uh, great job, boys. Uh, Acquired FM is a podcast. Acquired FM has a pro version. You pay 100 bucks for it. Uh, David uh, Investing Companies. Ben has a fund. Uh, anything else, boys? That, uh, you're getting good at this. That's great. Ben, what's, yeah, seriously. And Ben, the merch that you're wearing today is available. How much is the signature Ben Gilbert shirt going for? Well, with acquired embroidered uh, yes. on the inside, it's a twenty thousand uh, dollar limited edition T shirt. NFT. Is there one N- that I have? Is there an NFT <laughs> version available? <laughs> Are you wearing an NFT right now? Is this? I am not. That'd be so no, this great is- if, like, we were all virtual reality right now, and that was an NFT, and somebody buys it from you, and then all of a sudden you're topless. Like, boom! Somebody bought the shirt right <laughs> off your back, and it's like, boom! Well, I would pay that- money for that. Absolutely. Uh, All right, we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.